Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today we bring you an interview with Dave Zerum. He is a special guest with us today. He is a sports journalist based out of Toronto. He has covered the Toronto Raptors in his capacity as a featured writer and editor for Sportsnet, which is the Raptors TV broadcast partner. He has also written and edited directly for the NBA, as they produced various 75th anniversary projects. And he is the author of NBA 75, The Definitive History. It is a book that I recommend. Since you are a listener to Basketball History 101, then you are one of those people who love this game and its history. This book captures the history of the NBA from the very first season through the 75th season, including the bubble championship. It was a great time with Dave Zerum. So without further ado, here is our conversation. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Well, welcome Dave Zerum to Basketball History 101. I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, sitting down with us for a few minutes. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a real thrill. Anytime to talk hoops history. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start with getting to know you a little bit. So I wanted to ask you, uh, where did you discover your love for basketball? What was it that pulled you in? You know, I'm uh, I'm 37 right now, and I'm I live in Toronto. I was born and raised in Toronto, so you can kind of trace the the history of uh, the NBA coming to Canada. Kind of coincides with me being in that 10 years old range. You know, basically prime time to get hooked onto a sport like basketball, uh, and I think that's really where it started. It was the early days for the Toronto Raptors, uh, Damon Stoudemire, uh, Marcus Camby, those clubs, and then and then Vince Carter comes along, and and the sport in Canada exploded in popularity and you know when i look back at it at the time you know unknowingly uh, i was i was one of the the many canadians who were getting swept up in nba hoops at the time uh you know and then and then i and then i stayed a, a fan you know ever since um and 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 got the opportunity to cover it professionally you know i covered the raptors uh for years uh including their their 2019 championship run uh and, and during that whole time you know i was always really into what was happening in the league currently and the current stars and whatnot but what really, what I, I found myself continually being drawn deeper and deeper into was the history of the game and the people who, who really uh, grew the league and, and developed the sport, you know, on and off the court. Uh, and 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 I was so fortunate for those kind of uh, interests to, to to coincide and, and and lead to this book. Yeah, well, thank you for that. And of course, we are talking about your book called NBA Seventy Five: The Definitive history and when i got a chance to read it i gotta tell you i loved every story of it uh some of the stories are ones we had done on the show but some new stories i had not seen oh, cool. and so so going with that chapter tip off where you start and you go through or let me back up a second here you're going through in the book 75 chapters to celebrate 75 years of the nba so i wanted to start with your the opening chapter of tip off 
when the league is first formed, mostly by hockey operators. Right, right. Um, but in, in getting to that and how the league started and how it came to be, if you had to be a betting man, if you were like Vegas putting odds on the success of the league back in the summer of 1946, what do you give the league's chances are of sticking around even just 10 years? Huh. Well, well, pretty slim. I mean, you know, it, it's I, I don't think the it's fair to say that nobody could have seen uh, where things were heading at the time when the league was developed. You mentioned it was started by a bunch of uh, hockey owners who had these arenas that they that they had possession of and were looking to fill empty nights. So it was from the very start, it was kind of a secondhand uh, or almost like an afterthought. You know, hockey was the main attraction. Uh, but but what else are we going to put on the other nights? Yeah, let's put this basketball sport that's starting to get a little popular in the college ranks. Uh, so, so it was never really born to compete with the the titans of sport at the time. And and as the the first early decades of the league went on, you know, NBA basketball was never uh, among the more popular sports in, in America or elsewhere. Uh, it was always second fiddle to baseball and and football um, and 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 hockey in its earlier days. And, and so I think you'd be you'd be nuts to think that there'd be uh, 75 plus years of, of NBA legacy and that it would become this billion dollar business and become kind of in a lot of ways like the standard to which other leagues try to hold themselves up to. I mean, there's there's almost zero signs that that was uh, in the cards back then. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we I've talked about here is the fact that uh, for its sport, it is the one premier league in the world for its sport. Whereas, like, for example, international soccer, you've got a number of different leagues that are kind of in that top tier. Yeah, interesting. Basketball, it's really just one league and all the best players play in it yeah absolutely exactly and then there's the once you get to the second biggest league you know a lot of people say it's in spain um that drop off is pretty massive so yeah it's, it's you know and and not not to uh be sound too too pluggy and whatnot but we did come out with the second edition of the book recently and one of the and we were able to take that opportunity to, to update with some new chapters you know like uh there's one on the on the bubble, you know, the the COVID bubble, and some other stuff. The Clippers curse. But one of the chapters that was really important for me to get in there was a chapter on the international game and all the international players. And, and you know, we talked about the MVP debate this season with Embiid and Jokic and and Giannis. Uh, all these guys were non-American players, and, and you know, you just kind of touched on it a little bit. But the the fact that the NBA is kind of home to the best players in the world from that sport, they all come to play in this one league. It is pretty unique. I think you're right. Yeah, and speaking of that, one of the things I, at this point in the NBA's history, it's around around 30 to 33% of the NBA's players are from overseas, which is, it's a massive amount of players. So I Crazy. wanted to get kind of your take on what, what factors created an environment or created a, a, yeah, a situation where all of these foreign players start to really catch up to the American level of talent. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a complex one too. I mean, there's so much goes into it. I think fundamentally, at at the heart of it all, is for the same reason that NBA basketball and and the sport of basketball in general grew in popularity uh, in America and North America. Uh, it's just, that's the same thing that that helped to grow uh, overseas. And what I mean by that is is these the sheer star power of players like like Michael Jordan. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and I, you know, I think back to the the '92 Olympic experience, the Dream Team. You know, so much has been uh, written and said about it. Uh, we have a chapter in the uh, in the book about it. Um, you know, that was really an, almost like an ambassadorship for Jordan internationally. He, he really, I think, opened the doors to 
to the international markets for the NBA. And I think from there, uh, kids started, you know, first starting watching Michael Jordan and then eventually started watching NBA basketball and expanding it from there. And then all of a sudden, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years, you have generations of players, generations of kids uh, in Europe and, 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 and elsewhere who grew up watching NBA basketball when that just wasn't the case um, in the 70s, 80s, and, and certainly before that. So, and then you fast forward to today, I mean, the, the, the stars of the NBA today, they grew up idolizing NBA players like, uh, I don't know, like the Kobe's and Tracy McGrady's maybe, um, maybe even Steph Curry's. Uh, uh, and, and I think so now, now you have players who are growing up internationally with ambitions of becoming an NBA player, which wasn't really a thing, wasn't really on the radar back in the day. Uh, and, and, you know, another factor is, is the notion that they're going into, they have access to training, to, to hoops training. Uh, so let's say you're a kid growing up in Serbia, like you have access to high level basketball coaching from a young age. Uh, Luka Doncic is a great example of someone who was like from a very young age, was in some high level training situations and it really developed him to step into the NBA at what was he, 19 in his rookie year and, and essentially dominate from day one. Uh, so I think you're just going to see that more and more, you know, uh, kids are being uh, born uh, and bred as NBA players in a way that we haven't seen before. Sure. No, that's a, that's, that's great. Um, I do want to take a time though, to kind of get back to the beginning of the league, kind of those early days of the league. And cause I love the chapter in a book called Globetrotters 61 Lakers 59. And a lot of people don't realize that at one time the Globetrotters played straight up basketball and were really, <laughs> really good and, and challenged the Lakers. Uh, who were the defending champions at the time uh, of, the, of the NBA, at the time that this matchup comes together. And I wanted to, to get your thoughts on the Globetrotters' impact on the popularity of the league and the success of the league at a time when it was still kind of financially uh, vulnerable. Well, it's massive. First of all, the Globetrotters were a bigger draw than, than the NBA uh, in those days, in those earliest days. Uh, often, if there was doubleheaders at, at a, a Madison Square Garden, let's say, the uh, the main event was the Globetrotters game. The NBA game that preceded it was kind of just to get, you know, it was a, a, an, an added boost for fans. I mean, but it was they were there to watch the Globetrotters. So, so when we talk about like the popularity of basketball in general, the Globetrotters played a huge, huge role in 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 uh, in harboring that uh, throughout America. But I'm so glad you mentioned that specific chapter on that that Lakers uh, Globetrotters game because it's it's such a significant one that I don't think gets enough attention in when we talk about shaping NBA history. Uh, and it really societal, the societal impacts of that game. What was significant then is, you know, these are the George Mikan Lakers, the, the, uh, the, an all white team in an all white league. You know, the importance of that can't be, uh, overstated. And the Globetrotters were an all black team with players who were deemed, you know, that, that weren't considered like legitimate enough to play professional basketball. You know, the, like Globetrotters players would hear things from, from professional basketball coaches, like, um, saying things like, uh, they couldn't they couldn't understand the playbooks they couldn't execute plays you know point guards couldn't make the right pass at the right time the black point guards uh just this absurd absurd stuff uh so they play this game where the globetrotters like you said they they win this thrilling this thrilling matchup with the lakers they have a rematch the next year by the way and they win again and this game by the way was attended by something like sixty thousand people uh in chicago stadium just like a huge crowd to see this monumental moment uh that really showed that you know um the 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 racist tropes about about black players versus white players were were wrong because the globetrotters beat the the lakers who were the nba's best this dynasty they beat them they did it without the tricks 
and they beat them playing, you know, the quote unquote NBA basketball, uh, and, and really opened a lot of eyes. And I think set the, set the course for, uh, for integration and whatnot that would come. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, uh, I, I love that chapter and, and to see it. I'm a Lakers fan. So it, it was kind of <laughs> sad to see, I still get upset that the Globetrotters beat them, but that, I mean, you can't change it now. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for the movie on that game. I mean, it's, it's that, it's that perfect. There's so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when it comes to NBA history, I think everybody comes to it with sort of their favorite era of basketball. For most people, it's the era where they grew up, you know, the era when they were like in those teen years or so. Right, but, right. but from a historical perspective, where do you tend to kind of gravitate to or go back to? Uh, so, okay, so from a, from a historical perspective, uh, probably the most interesting and important era of hoops is the Magic and Larry era. You know, where they really took basketball from, like we said, kind of a second hand or an afterthought, secondhand citizen in the world of professional sports and brought it to to uh, to what it is today. You know, and then Michael Jordan came along and took it to another stratosphere of uh, building off what they did. Um, so uh, as someone who, who covers the history of the game, I'm, I'm, I want to say that, but I'm not going to say that. The one that I'm always personally drawn back to is uh, let's call it the glory days. I, I, and by that, I mean the early 60s, mid 60s uh, NBA, where you had the stars like Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Will, Cha Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, those players who, who I think really, uh, uh, for, for the ways that Magic and Larry came along and, and brought basketball to the mainstream, um, what those guys did in the glory days was show, I think, they pushed the boundaries of what basketball can be as a sport. And really open up the game uh, for uh, the Magic's and whatnot to follow for guys like Dr. J who came along afterwards. Like I always say, um, this, this is hardly an original thought, but um, the notion that uh, you know, without uh, Elgin Baylor, there's no Dr. J. Without David Thompson, there's no Michael Jordan, et cetera. So you know, when we keep going tracing back to the beginning, I think the that era, that '60s era of Robertson, West, uh, Baylor, Russell, Wilt. I mean, you'll, uh, it's hard for me to wrap my head around these. They're like these like Paul Bunyan type figures in my mind. And it's hard for me to imagine another era coming by with, with that many all timers playing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, sometimes I have this thought of, you know, what would today's NBA look like if you had to concentrate the best players down to eight teams like it was in the 60s, you know? Right. You'd have a lot of guys that are starters today that wouldn't even wouldn't even make it. You know, they they'd be out playing in the G League or overseas somewhere. Um, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's so it's just so different now than back then. I mean, part of what I, I'm really drawn to about those players is they were incredible, uh, and and doing it in a time where you know they were the travel schedule was brutal. They're wearing like shitty shoes. <laughs> They're like hurt all the time, but not getting treatment for it. You know, like all these like. Other, other staying in crappy hotels, wherever the case is, all these like real life factors when you throw on top of the, uh, when, when you throw, you know, you consider the way uh, NBA players and pro athletes are, get to live kind of the high life today and, 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 and take care of their bodies and get the best access to the best of everything. It just wasn't the case back then. And these guys were still able to kind of make history. It, it, I'm always impressed by that. You know, I, I used to coach my kids in youth, youth basketball and one of my daughter's teammates it was a brand new girl, first time playing basketball, showed up in the old fashioned Converse All Stars. And I was like, oh, no. Poor thing. Poor like, what thing. Are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've all made I, the mistake I, of trying to play, trying to play ball in like Jordans. Yeah. Ones. Yeah. Um, so 
one era I did want to talk to you about in particular, and this came from your ABA chapter, the, the, the basketball's mm. world with. And in reading that chapter, I'm thinking, okay, they must have read Terry Pluto's book, Loose Balls, which is like the quintessential. My favorite. That's my favorite. On the ABA. That's my and favorite basketball book I've ever read. Yeah. It, it's, no, it, it's fantastic. I thought that the young Bob Costas was in there. Um, <laughs> that's and, right. I mean, that, that's where I started to kind of fall in love with the story on Marvin Bad News Barnes. He's this, he's really the star of that book, isn't he? Him he and is. the whole Spirits of St. Louis. Yeah, I too, I try, I think there's one, there's one line in my book about, about bad news, but I could have included so much more. And it's all from Terry Pluto's book, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you see is uh, when they, when the NBA found itself challenged by this upstart league, um, how do you see when they did finally merge? How do you see that NB that ABA style influencing the NBA style? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the ABA sort of celebrated a lot of the things that the NBA discouraged, and when and and I think when they when they merged uh, and a lot of those ABA styles were uh, you know those those ABA um, yeah styles showed up on the NBA court. The fans were fans were drawn by, it and the fans dictated kind of where the game would go. Uh, and, and I think uh, great like evidence to support that is you look at the popularity of Dr. J, uh, the biggest star from the ABA coming to the NBA, where his star his star just continued to rise there. Uh, and and he became, he was the epitome of the ABA, and it's for good reason because he brought the, a ton of flair to the game, which is what the ABA celebrated and what the NBA discouraged. Um, you know, dribbling skills. The three-point line, which wasn't in the NBA at the time, but the ABA had the three-point shot, which obviously is like the basis of basketball today, um, for better or worse. Uh, and then the biggest, the biggest example is is the dunks. You know, the dunk contest was it was an ABA invention. Uh, in-game dunking was something that that we saw all the time in the in the ABA that um, you didn't see in the NBA as much. I mean, you think of the fact that like in a lot of cases to counteract guys like Wilt and whatnot. Uh, dunking was disallowed, you know, in college for many years, and and in the NBA uh, was discouraged for a while. Uh, and the ABA changed all that, you know. And when you think about where, again, when you think about the, you always have to think of these things as progressions. When you think of where the game is today, um, take take like showmanship out of it. <laughs> that's that's what the NBA would have been without the ABA. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a it's it's a thing. And I we did uh, for one of our our episodes, we looked at the uh, the NBA All Star game the season after the merger. And realized that ten out of the twenty-four All Stars were had played in the ABA the year before. So that look proved at that, yeah. This league, they had some really talented players. Yeah, it was like a fly by fly by the seat of his pants operation, and uh, I think it was a lot of business decisions and whatnot that that prevented the league from reaching its full potential, probably. But ultimately, if you look at the merger, I mean, it was a, it was a big success, uh, and certainly the the biggest legacy of the ABA is yeah, as you as you mentioned, like the number of of standout players that came out of that league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, th this is, again, uh, this is what we're talking about here is uh, the book called NBA 75, the definitive history. And you said you have a second edition. Is it coming out or when, when can we expect to see that? It's out. It's out. If you have it's a out. copy there, Rick, and that might be the copy in your hands there. It came out um, somewhat recently uh, over the winter at some point. So it's out. Uh, it has uh it's it's looks and feels the same as the first. It just has some updated chapters in it. All right, and and this is a really wonderful book. So if you, I know a lot of my audience. I mean, they're here because they want to hear about basketball history, uh, the history of the league, and um, and this book is just really does a fantastic job of covering 
the history of the league from the first season all the way to the, the well, very recently, the 71st, 75 years, and you have a chapter on Giannis, who, in my opinion, is probably um, if the most advanced skill in terms of his height and skill right. is the almost kind of the greatest combination of height and skill. I've never seen anything like this. I try to imagine what would happen if you if you were to take Giannis and drop him into the 1950s. I mean, oh my what gosh, yeah. the reaction would be? They wouldn't. They would. They would think he was an alien. There was a NBA a, a role player. Or I guess maybe role players insulting. Spencer Dinwiddie was on a podcast somewhere recently. He's like a Brooklyn Nets guard. Uh, he's not a star by any means. He's not an all star. He's like a yeah bench player, fringe starter. Uh, and he was making the point out if he went back into the NBA in the fifties, he'd average like seventy points a game. And it's and you know what? I probably I might agree with with that to a degree. I mean, like, like we just keep advancing, right? At, as a society, as, uh, as people, and as athletes. So it's no surprise to hear that. Uh, but, but I really appreciate what you're saying uh, about the book. If, you know, I, and I'm excited to be here in particular because I know like a few of your audience are sports historians, and that's what you guys are, are, are drawn to. And what I really, really tried to do with this book was not just to the greatest hits of, it, of the NBA history and the stories we've all heard before. I mean, yes, a lot of it are, uh, some of them are unavoidable, and, and the stars are the stars. The the stories are the stories, the legacies are legacies. But I really, really wanted to 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 help draw a line from that first tip off, from that very first game till today, and show how how the different people that, that shaped the league, how they how they um the, their personalities and and what they brought to the to the league off the court and on the court really really forged the way for everyone to come after them. Um, and that's like a sloppy way of saying it, but it was really important for me to get these these personal stories and these guys' personalities across just as much as it was to get their their skills, their on court skills. Well, let, let me let me wrap. Let me finish up with this question. So I'm not going to ask you who is the best player of all time. I mean that that that, that question is almost beaten to death. So let me ask you this: Which player do you think had the single greatest impact on the popularity of the NBA as a league? It's an amazing question, and these debates are, are, you know, they're so polarizing often, and there's a reason why they're, they're so entertaining, and people love to have these conversations. And I, I'm always like, you know, I have these conversations myself with, with, with friends and colleagues. I'm asked it all the time. I always try to find, you know, an interesting way into it, but then it always just seems so friggin' obvious that it's Michael Jordan, and I don't know who else it could be. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what I mean, Rick? Like, I, I'm trying to be clever. You know, I've, I've written this book on the history of the game. I could access all these different uh, people who, for all those nuanced reasons why they help bring the game into the, the popularity is today. But but it's Michael. It's MJ. I mean, it's yeah. just as simple as that. It's it's hard. Because no one else comes close, I don't think, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And when I hear the debate, you know, LeBron versus MJ, I'm like, you realize Wilt averaged 50 for a season, right? Did you just forget Thank about you. that? Yeah, yeah. The, the era comparison thing is really tough. But if we're talking about just sheer like popularity, yeah, um, yeah, we talked about it earlier. Like Magic and, and Larry Johnson, uh, Larry Johnson, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird played a huge, 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 huge role. Uh, but then, but then MJ came along and things changed. They just changed completely. Uh, and and the billion dollar industry that is the NBA, multi billion dollar industry, the the notion of player brands. You know, LeBron is a brand because of Michael Jordan. Uh, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah, it all builds on itself, right? Uh, this is the next, the next stage, next era. Exactly. Well, and again, who's who's next? Is it Giannis? I'm not sure, but uh, that's why it's always fascinating. The draft this year will be 
it, you know, the 2023 draft will be a really fascinating one because from a history perspective, we might be witnessing history with this French kid. So yeah, always, always, always a thrill in the NBA. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you taking some time out to, to share your book with us and, uh, uh, where I'm going to put in the show notes of where they can get a where the listeners can get their hands on it. Uh, but again, I just want to thank you so much uh, for this time. I appreciate it. I appreciate your book. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, like we can we can do this all day. So uh, give me a call back anytime you want. I want to thank Dave again for this time. I want to thank Dave again for his time and for this conversation about his book, NBA 75, The Definitive History. Again, the book has so many great stories from the history of the NBA. It features so many of the great players in the league, and it is just a fun read. There there is a link in the show description where you can purchase NBA 75, The Definitive History. We hope to have Dave back again in the future to discuss other topics from basketball history. I also want to give a quick shout out to loyal listener Eric Warren from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I was in Fort Wayne recently and I got a chance to say hi to one of Eric's kids as she was in a conversation with two of my kids. It was a good time. Well, join us next week when we share the story of Tom Gola. At one time, he was considered the greatest college player player of all time. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our page on Facebook. It is called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories in the past. Take care and see you soon. <music>